morning. So, like Fred said, my name is Chris Del Santo. I'm um, a member, a deacon for um, Kingdom Life Ministries here at Westridge. Um, if you're new uh, with us, um, we believe in honoring our senior pastor and making sure he stays healthy and, and well, and so we give him a month off uh, so that he can recharge and spend time with his family and, and have some alone time to seek what the Lord is doing uh, and calling us to as a church. Um, so that's why we're doing this uh, series um, the next couple of weeks that started last week in and not of the world. Um, last week, um, our guest speaker did a phenomenal job of really laying the foundation for what John 17 is all about. Um, so I want to just um, throw up on, on the screen, John 17, 14 through 17 um, is kind of where I'm going to focus today's message. Um, the, uh, so I have, I, I have given them your word. And the word has hated the world, excuse me, has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So last week, our guest speaker <clears throat> talked about the importance of establishing the context for what world means, right? It's kind of weird that it's, it's, you know, that the world hates the believers, and it's kind of talking negatively, like, you know, we're in it, but we shouldn't be a part of it. Um, but yet, God says in his word that he loves the world. And, and so, what does world mean in the context of what Jesus is praying here? And, and what came out of that was that the context in, in this case is that the, it's the world system of unbelievers, their way of seeing things in contrast to God's perspective, and that it, it, it's the, the people whose thoughts and, and, and behaviors are governed by the, the, the God of this world, which is the devil. Um, we were also encouraged uh, to not, or, or to engulf ourselves in Scripture, Right, and I just I love the vision that that he created by using that word, just to be engulfed by scripture, to be consumed by it, uh, and not to get caught up in in doctrine. Right, doctrine is important, but we have to understand scripture first, and it's through understanding scripture first that we could understand the heart of where those doctrines came from and why they were written. Because when we engulf ourselves in Scripture, we engulf ourselves in the heart of God. And when we dive into the center of that heart, we can more easily discern the doctrines that are pure and holy from the doctrines that, while well-intentioned, kind of lead us off the mark and pull us away from what God's intention really is for our lives. Division to the point of church splits have occurred throughout the years over doctrine about of the world and not in the world. And so it's really important for us to understand and grasp what does that mean to not be of the world? Because it's, it's really kind of hard and perplexing when you think about it that a prayer that Jesus was praying for us, for our protection, our joy, and our unity has caused frustration, insecurity, and division. But it really did. Doctrines were formed that declared, not of this world, 
Well, that meant that we should withdraw from it and create lists of things that Christians shouldn't be involved with. Things like we shouldn't play music in the service. That's, that, that's, of, the, that's of the world. We shouldn't do that. Uh, we can't dance. Can't smoke or drink. And God forbid you step foot in a bowling alley. <laughs> right? I mean, and it, it, it sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? But that's really some of the doctrines that churches have created over the years to say how to not be of the world. And, or women can't wear pants and makeup. <laughs> um, or, and the, but most importantly, we don't associate with non-Christians. These are all doctrines that were created. And the reality of it is that segments of the church went back to rules and laws and abandoned the truth about the power of intimacy, the power of intimacy to shed the things of the world from our life. Because the truth about intimacy with God is the more intimate our relationship becomes, the less appealing the things of the world are to us. The more intimate we become, those lists and those things, they just... They just fall off our radar. It's not something that you need to try to do because of the love that you have with the Father. You know, think about it. If there's someone special in your life that you love, a child, a spouse, do you need rules to tell you to love your child? Do you need rules to say don't hurt your child? No. You, you, you don't hurt them because... Love drives your interactions with them. Those things aren't on your radar because of the love that's between you. And that's the kind of love and intimacy that our Father wants with us. Now, some believe that not of the world implies a destination. And that's where the self-protection comes in, right? That, that we are saved and we're going to heaven someday. So we need to protect ourselves, insulate ourselves so that the things of the world won't corrupt us. And that sounds kind of logical on the surface, but if Jesus was praying for us that God would protect us from the evil one, why don't we believe him? Why are we becoming Lord of our own protection? Why are we saying that we need rules to protect us? That's saying that we don't believe Jesus is enough. That's saying that we don't trust God to protect and answer that prayer. It's not about lists. And it's not about protecting ourselves. And it's not a destination. It's a starting place. A source. It's a, he's talking about our identity. Jesus is speaking in terms of identity when he's saying that prayer. Those of the world who are not aware of their identity and those who are not of the world, people who do understand their identity. Because whether you're of the world or not of the world, your identity doesn't change. Your identity is God-given. It's God-breathed. The difference is that those that are of the world are those that are lost in sin. They're slaves to sin until they accept the salvation that Jesus secured for everyone. 
See, being born again moves us from a sinner that is saved by grace to a saint that is sustained by grace. In other words, our sin nature transforms into a cardinal nature. Meaning that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we still have free will that can be swayed by temptation or can stand on our identity as holy and righteous and blameless before God. And it's that cardinal nature that our ability to still be swayed by temptation is the whole reason that Jesus prayed that our Father protect us from the evil one. And God is a loving Father who is always faithful, amen? Amen. So do we believe it? Do we behave from a place of belief? Because the reality is, like, if God wasn't going to answer Jesus' prayer, that, that prayer request to protect us, he would take us out of the world as soon as we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Or he would take us out of the world as soon as he recognized that we were going to fall prey to temptation. Can you imagine that happening? It'd be like, you know, you're just standing around one day and, and a buddy pulls up with a brand new pickup truck and you turn to your friend and you're like, oh man, did you see George's new truck? Poof. Oh, I guess he was about to covet that truck. Right? But that's not what God does. Because we're saved for a purpose. Not just to go to heaven someday, but to release heaven in the earth today. So that people of this world know there's a way out of the evil from this world. We're called to show the world that our unstoppable God is not just a great song that we sing, but it's a reality. And that unstoppable God dwells within us. So that makes us unstoppable if we embrace the truth of our identity. We are children of God. We are not of this world. We're of his kingdom. Amen? We have to step into what we're singing about there to become the message. We won't see that we're unstoppable unless we take the risk and step out to see that we are. Unstoppable means that when situations that are coming look like hell, the answer of heaven dwells and resides in you. You've got the answer. When you let it engulf you, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that is what those in the world need to hear. We don't need to insulate ourselves from them. Those that are lost in sin are not our enemy. They're the ones we're supposed to leave the 99 for. And that's why it's so important to keep our minds full of what God thinks, to pursue intimacy so that we don't get distracted by life of this world, the politics, the economy, career striving, what is good, what is bad, whose list is right. All these things cause us to forget where we're from. We're sojourners, pilgrims, here for a short while, but we're here to make an impact. 
You are here to make an impact for the kingdom of God. You are here to give the devil a bad day every day. Every day, give that devil a bad day. <laughs> no more worrying about the devil coming against you. No more worrying about him attacking you, oppressing you, distracting you. That's all based in fear. We don't belong to the devil anymore. If you said yes to Jesus, you are not of this world and not a slave to the devil's kingdom. He lost over 2,000 years ago. Let's remind him of that. It's okay to clap at that. (laughs) But how do we remind him? How do we give the devil a bad day? By showing those who are of the world, those lost in sin, the hope of glory inside of you. It is so important because, again, the loss are not our enemy. And if we don't show them hope, who will? You know, before I was a Christian, I was lost in a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol. And there were times I did reach out. And I'm not saying I reached out in the best way possible, and I'm sure they had every right to be angry at me. But many times I was told by church folk, I was going to hell, and that I was a disappointment to my family, a disgrace to my family, and that there was no hope. Just go. Hurry up and die and get it over with so that your family can move on. That was the church. And, and they're not responsible for my behavior, but what that accomplished was showing me there was no grid for hope. We need to be the hope of glory, and not just keep it in here, but bring it into the darkness, because that's who needs it. To reconcile and restore the world back to God and to each other. That's how we give the devil a bad day, to reconcile the world back to God, one person at a time, by loving the unlovable, by talking with people that by the world standards are bad news, and sharing with them the good news. Amen? Now, a great practical way to see this played out in Scripture is illustrated in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. If we look at verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is united with the anointed one, Jesus, that person is a new creation. The old life is gone, and see, a new life has begun. Now, this is declaring moving from of the world to not of the world transforming sin nature into cardinal nature. Verse 18, all of this is a gift from our creator God who has pursued us and brought us into a restored and healthy relationship with him through the anointed. And he has given us the same mission, the ministry of reconciliation to bring others back to him. Restored and healthy relationship with God. Restored to what? Original factory settings walking with him in the cool of the day. Intimacy. Our factory default is intimacy with our Father, as if we never ate from the tree in the first place. Wholeness, restoration. What does that really mean? It means that we don't need rules and laws to remind us that we're not good enough. 
a restored and healthy identity engulfed in the way, the truth, and the life who reminds us that we're worthy of it all. We were worth it. We were worth what he paid for us to come out of darkness and come out of the world and into his kingdom. And he also reminds us that we're capable of stepping into the mission he has for us to minister reconciliation. Verse 19, it is central to our good news that God was in the anointed making things right between himself and the world. This means he does not hold their sins against them. But it also means he charges us to proclaim the message that heals and restores our broken relationships with God and each other. When you accepted Jesus as Lord, you were made new for a reason, for a purpose, to proclaim the message that heals and restores broken relationships with God and each other. Sometimes we tend to forget that each other part of that scripture. We need to move. We need to get out there. Reach, like we, Eric was saying, to, to encounter in those mountaintops, not to feel good and to remember we're going to heaven someday, but to bring that hope into the valleys. Because it's not just for missionaries. It's not just for evangelists, pastors, teachers, prophets, and apostles. This is for the whole body of Christ. Because the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God cries out, Abba, Father, and he connects you to the source. And God comes and dwells and makes his home inside of you. He wants you to be engulfed by him so that you can change the world around you. So that you never get influenced by outside. But that you are a consistent and constant influence from inside. That protection that Jesus was praying for God's answer to that prayer is intimacy. But how does this intimacy thing work, right? What's the practical way to accomplish that intimacy? It's not a mystery. First and foremost, like what was spoken last week, you got to get engulfed in Scripture. Scripture has to be our anchor to understand who God is. It's the most important way to learn who he is. And then you supplement, you're not, so I shouldn't say supplement, you, you add to that prayer, meditating on the word, and encountering him. Now, our prayer needs to be based on our understanding. Meditating on the word, clearly you need the word to meditate on it. And our encounters have to be validated in scripture. But we still need those encounters. Those encounters are a vital part of intimacy. You know, so often in, in our American culture, we think that the encounter is actually the agreement of the truth. If I agree with it, I've encountered it. But that's not true. An encounter, the difference between just knowing it and understanding the truth and agreeing with it and having the actual encounter, if you were here last week, you saw a testimony by Charlesse. And she described seeing somebody outside of the pantry and going and talking with her. And she was 
not interested in coming in because of past hurts and, and things that had happened at other pantries. And Charlesse talked with her, brought her in, and she was able to get food. Now, on the surface, that's understanding and agreeing with the truth that we're supposed to go and be the love of the Father to the lost, right? But if you saw that testimony, you don't get moved to tears by knowledge. She was moved to tears because she encountered the compassion of Jesus Christ. And when she looked upon that woman, she saw someone hurt and broken. And the, the, the compassion of Jesus overwhelmed her. And she encountered the love of the Father and poured that love out to that woman. And God's grace brought her home and where she can feel safe. And that's, that's what I'm talking about when I say we need encounters like that. We need to step out and encounter the reality of the presence of God. And that breeds and deepens intimacy. Because when we have intimacy with our Papa, with our Father, temptation doesn't work anymore. And temptation... It, you know, it doesn't always mean that it's just something is trying to do, get us to do something bad. Oftentimes, that's kind of the way we think of it. Like, temptation is, is sin is behavior that's bad. And, and that's, not, that's part of it. But I think for many of us, the temptation that gets us the easiest is a temptation to not do something. Not to step out. Not to step out and let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, right? It's that nagging voice that says, oh, I, 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 can't, I can't go and pray for that person. That, that's, that's not me. I, I can't do that. Or what if they don't get healed when I pray for healing? Or I can't share my faith at work. I'll get in trouble. Or, or I've tried sharing before with my family, and, and I, I just, I can't, I just, I don't know enough. And we stop and we quiet ourselves. That's giving into temptation because our mission is to reconcile the world. And if our mission is to reconcile the world back to God and each other, not doing something is answering the call of temptation instead of answering the call of our Father to be the light to the world. Does that make sense? And when we embrace the truth of our identity... We choose then to engage the world, and we do it with the heart of the Father. Now, sometimes we forget who we really are and where we're really from. And we stumble a bit. That doesn't mean we stop. Keep practicing. Keep going. There's this dichotomy between the, of the world and not of the world, realities, but we both live in the world. Jesus promised that the world was going to hate us. So don't be surprised when they do. That doesn't mean if they hate you, go ahead and stop talking and just gather together among like-minded people. He said, go. It's gonna, the, the, the tribulation's going to come, and that's okay. When we, when we understand our identity, that we're a child of God and we're seated with Christ, on his throne, we bring love into a hateful world. And one of the things that um, I, I often hear is, is people talk about how 
they get upset with themselves because they got angry at somebody. Um, and it's like, oh, I shouldn't have gotten angry. The Bible doesn't say don't get angry. The Bible says don't let your anger cause you to sin. So anger isn't the problem. It's how, what we do with the anger is on the scale, right? Whether it's going to cause you to sin or not. So what is the purpose of anger? If anger is not the problem, what is its true holy purpose? It should drive you to reconciliation. When you're angry at somebody, do you want them to cease to exist? No, you want them to right the wrong that's been done to you. That's reconciliation. So anger's purpose is to drive you to reconciliation. Now, the problem comes in is that our country, our culture currently has moved from anger to contempt and calls contempt anger. If you disagree with me, I don't care about you. I have no use for you. You're dead to me, right? And, and, and it's, it's this contemptuousness has found a grip in, even in the church, and we have to put a hard line to that and say, no, I can be angry with you, but I still love you. I can be angry at you, but I still want reconciliation. I want restoration for relationship. And even if that doesn't happen, I'm going to still love you, even when you hate me. That's what we're called to. We have to root out contempt from our hearts. Because if we're not careful, that contempt leads to condemnation instead of conviction. Conviction says, this is wrong. Let's bring restoration and reconciliation. Condemnation is judgment that says, you're going to hell. Turn or burn. There's no hope for you. You know, and we see that really prevalent in the church with the LGBTQ community and with the abortion topics. Those are the two topics that I think we really need to help the church wake up to letting love bring conviction. Our job is not to judge and condemn. We're not to condone, but they're not going to hear a message of hope if we're telling them they're evil, they're horrible, God hates them. And we need to be the body that wakes up the church to say, no more. This isn't how Jesus did it. Jesus loved people into the kingdom, loved people into, helped them understand their lost identity so that they can be reconciled back to God. So what does that look like from a, from a practical perspective? You know, when, when I first moved here, it was about 11 years ago, I moved here from Chicago, and Jolene and the kids were still in Chicago while we were trying to sell the house. And um, so I was, I was rooming. I was renting a room from this guy. And uh, one day he told me, you know, that uh, his daughter was going to be staying with us for a couple of days, that she had just had an abortion and um, needed some help in her, recovery, her physical recovery from it. And um, while she was there... Um, we are just watching television one night, and she's like, um, she starts, she's got tears in her eyes, and she looks at her father, and she's like, Dad, will God ever forgive me for killing my baby? And I just started praying quietly. Because this guy, talk about other world. Whew. He was a rough guy. He was a, a, a cop in Stowe. And... Um, 
So he turns to her and he says, ask this guy. He, he knows about that God stuff. <laughs> so I was like, great. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it was really, it was an interesting experience. Because prior to, prior to being Christian, I was involved in a relationship where the young lady I was with decided to have an abortion. And I didn't want her to. So even just the topic of abortion, it just angered me. Because I'm like, my kid was taken away from me, and I had no choice in it. I had no say in it. And I felt that anger kind of flash in me when she asked the question. And then I looked at her, and I realized I'm not looking at a discussion topic. I'm not looking at a debate. I'm looking at my father's daughter who's hurting. And she's scared. And my heart just broke for her. And I said, yes, God's going to forgive you. And we talked for about two hours. Just let her talk about all the emotions she was feeling. And then we talked about her identity, that she was a child of God. She was valuable, and he loves her regardless of the choices that she's made. And continued to just speak truth into her life to help her understand that it's not about saying sorry. It's about repenting, making better decisions, aligning your thoughts up with the way God thinks and so that you're not in a position where you ever have to make that choice again. And because I chose love over hate and allowed my anger not to cause me to sin, Holy Spirit used the love of the Father to convict her heart and she accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And that's the way we need to represent our Father. That's the reason we're in the world, to bring that kind of hope so that people can come out of that darkness and embrace the truth of their identity that they are a child of God with a loving Father. And I hope that this message is getting you excited, giving you hope, to step out. Because I got to tell you, Westridge does it right. I am so proud to be part of this body. Because did you know that Westridge has 30 active ministries? That's a lot of ministries. That's a ton of ministries. That's, <laughs> I, and I actually counted them all up as I was preparing for this just to see. And 30 active ministries, 30 unique ways to reach out to those that are still in the world, 30 venues to shine with the hope of glory. There is truly something for everyone here. Wherever your heart is, whatever your desire is, however you want to get involved, there's something for you here. Something here for you to be able to say yes to Jesus' call to mission, to go and be in the world and reconcile it back to God and to each other.
Go ahead and please stand. I want to pray. Spirit, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, we thank you for the confidence in knowing that our Father is well pleased with us. We want to be a church that answers your call. So Holy Spirit, we give you freedom right now to move in our hearts. We want to encounter you right now in this moment. Father, if there is any contemptuousness in our heart, we ask you to convict us right now. We give you permission to bring to our mind anybody that we have harbored hate towards. there is somebody that has been brought to your mind forgive them let Holy Spirit minister to your heart right now in this moment Father break our hearts allow your compassion to overwhelm us Jesus we want to feel the compassion that you felt when you looked over Jerusalem when we look across the ridge we want our hearts to break. We want deeper intimacy with you, Father. So move deep. Stir our passions. Because we want to say yes. Jesus, bring freedom for us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.